very warm welcome to this podcast on forages for a circular bioeconomy my name is vijay thakur and i am heading the biorefining and advanced tree research center at sruc i will be the host for this podcast in this podcast we will discuss about the role of forages in a circular economy with a prime focus on current challenges and future perspective i am delighted to be joined by several expert especially dr james gaffey from ireland dr james is a principal investigator and co-director of the circular bioeconomy research group at shannon applied biotechnology center at munster technology university ireland he has been coordinator lead pi and co pi on several eu and nationally funded circular bioeconomy research project he is a member of the expert advisory group to ireland's national bioeconomy forum and was on the expert panel for the impact assessment of circular biobased europe joint undertaking which is a successor program to bbi ju under the horizon europe program Prior to joining MTU, James has extensively worked in biorefining industry since 2009 with the Technology Center for Biorefining and Bioenergy Sustainable Biopolymers and Solar Limited, to name a few. Then Dr. David Lassen, he is an expert in grassland agronomy and productivity, alternative outputs from grassland through bioprocessing, biomass-based renewable energy and production. Dr. John Newbold is the head of Glo- Global Climate Emergency Challenge Center. Dr. Vijay Gupta is an expert in biomass valorization to value-added bioproducts. Bob Rees is the head of Carbon Crops and Soil Research Center. And I will kickstart the discussion with first point on there is currently considerable interest in bioprocessing and biorefining but what are the particular reason behind the concept of biorefining grass and forage crops this is a burning question and uh, uh, we would like to have your viewpoint james on this one okay vijay thanks and very nice to join you all so um i think um if if we go back and uh, and we we talk about grass biorefining and green biorefining in general so extraction of protein from leaves predominantly it's not a particularly new technology people have been looking at this since the 1700s and even the core process which we kind of rely on or or base our work on today goes back to the, the 1950s um i think in the early 2000s, uh, with the interest in, we say, the development of biofuels and the need for renewable resources, um, there became a focus on how we could potentially produce new products from grass. And there was a kind of proliferation of research, a new proliferation of research, if you like, into the area of green biorefineries, which is driven by the sustainability agenda in terms of emissions reduction. And then in the last five years, Uh, Coupled with that, uh, we've also started to look more closely, in addition to material production, at how we can produce uh, protein more sustainably uh, from grasslands and leaves. 
Um, and that's partly been driven as well by uh, the kind of realization that I think Europe as a continent is, uh, you know, quite dependent on imports in order to meet uh, the protein requirements of the livestock sector. Uh, I know from an Irish perspective, there's there's uh, we're, we're only about 35 uh, percent uh, self-sufficient when it comes to uh, protein for the livestock sector. So there's a need to look for alternative sources of uh, protein. And then I suppose coupled with that, again, you have issues arising from uh, greenhouse gas emissions, which are impacting the livestock sector, I think globally. Uh, about 14.5% of, of global greenhouse gas emissions are coming from the livestock sector. So really, in the last number of years, I think there is a potential to look at how we can uh, use our primary uh, grasslands more sustainably to create uh, extra protein and, and feed uh, other animals in addition to, to uh, ruminants, to feed monogastrics, potentially to, to feed humans in future as well. Um, and to also look at how we can use maybe some of the green residues, which are uh, residual streams from other plant production to create protein uh, to feed uh, the ruminant sector and the livestock sector and to make uh, protein, uh, make Europe and and the world in general more more, more uh, resilient in terms of uh, sustainable protein sources. Thanks, James. Uh, David, your follow-up thoughts on uh, uh, about uh, James' viewpoint on this one? Yeah, thanks, PJ. Yeah, I would agree totally with, uh, with James. The one uh, thing I would add to it is I think one of the reasons for the general interest certainly in Northern Europe is there's a decline in the use of grassland for livestock production. There's quite a lot of grassland areas going out of production in Northern Europe. And there's therefore being a the question's being asked, could we use this area, or can we use this grassland for other products? And I think that's been one of the drivers behind this in, in, in Northern Europe. One of the other issues on a sort of more, more personal basis, one of the reasons I got interested in this was the, the increasing use of anaerobic digestion. Uh, in, in, again, Northern Europe, especially in the UK, and then we've got systems whereby we're taking crops and sometimes including grass, where we're producing silage, and then that's going into an anaerobic digester, transporting tons of material into an anaerobic digester, a small, very small proportion going off as methane, and you're taking all that digested back out and putting it onto the land. So there's a lot of material getting moved about to produce quite small amounts, relatively small amounts of gas. Um, the question we then ask, could we use that grass for something else? Or could we get something else out of that grass before we put it through the digester? And one of the, as, as James mentioned, one of the, the sort of main drivers of this is, could we take protein out of the grass before it into the digester? And that was one of the reasons I got interested, or we got interested in this as a potential for, for grassland uh, as an output. Yeah, thanks, thanks, David. So another key point is, the other main market for grass and forages is ruminant nutrition. So James and John, both of you being the expert in these fields. So where do you see a biorefinery working in competition with or in conjunction with meat and dairy production? John, do you want to go first or will I? Um, so I, I don't see competition, Vijay, because uh, this is 
sort of the beauty of the process. I think normally uh, sometimes when you engage with farmers on on some new ideas on the bioeconomy, one of the first questions you get asked is, you know, I'm using my land for a particular application. I, I might be kind of forced into doing something else. And I think where where this is going with the green biorefinery model is that you can extract some of the protein into a juice fraction which can be extracted and further uh further treated to produce a protein for uh non-ruminants so pigs and poultry for example and we've had really good results looking at the displacement of soybean uh as as a key component in pig diets with this green protein from grass uh, we've just recently completed a trial where we displaced 50% of the soybean meal with green protein just in the last few weeks, and we got a higher level of uh, uh, weight gain in the case of the pigs on, on this new treatment diet. So I think there's huge potential there. But on the contrary side to this, we've taken the press cake, which contains a, a smaller amount of the protein because we're after pressing some out. But the protein that's contained within the press cake is uh, in a form that's uh, more usable by the cow. It, it drives a higher nitrogen use efficiency in the cow. Uh, and so even though the overall nitrogen content is lower in the case of what we call the press cake, much more of the of the nitrogen is actually being converted into the product, the milk, and much less of it is being lost in, in excrement. So we have done two trials to date on this. And in the first trial, we found that when we displaced silage in the cattle diet, in the dairy diet, we didn't have a negative impact on uh, on milk production or milk quality. And in the more recent trial, we actually found that we had an increase in, in milk production in the case of our press cake. So I suppose the, under this model, you could envisage a situation where farmers were supplying uh, grass to a biorefinery. They were taking a forage back for themselves, but they were also being able to produce a new feed uh, for monogastric. So I don't see it as really being in competition. I see it as actually creating a kind of local synergy between uh, dairy farmers, beef farmers and potentially pig and poultry farmers. Yes, I'd, uh, I'd agree with that, James. Thanks. And you can almost restate the uh, the, the benefit uh, to the ruminant animal, perhaps particularly the dairy cow, as being here's a process of reducing the excess nitrogen uh, that's present in the in the grass, particularly highly soluble, rapidly converted to ammonia, and the problems that then ensue from that in terms of well, ammonia uh, volatilization from uh, from excreted nitrogen and conversion to nitric oxide, etc. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a way of enhancing the nutritional value for the for the ruminant animal. One of the, one of the points that I think also arises from what was said earlier relates to where does the energy come from, or what are the energy needs for this process, and where might that energy come from? And really, to make the whole thing more circular, does it really require there to be some form of renewable energy uh, available on farm? Uh, assuming that's where the process is taking place, which could of course include energy generated through uh, anaerobic digestion. What's your thoughts on that, James? Yeah, and I, I think it goes back to David's point that I definitely see a lot of synergy between this idea of the grass biorefinery integrating with anaerobic digestion. Um, what we looked at um, within our process, we were able to extract essentially three products, um, a press cake, a protein and, and a, a sugar stream. And a residual stream, which we call a whey, we looked at as, as a potential substrate for anaerobic digestion. And we, we found that one of the barriers in Ireland, at least, for the development of anaerobic 
digestion unless it's a very large scale where you're taking in waste food from facilities and is is the cost associated with accessing some of the feedstock and particularly grass silage is, is can be quite an expensive feedstock to just digest. So we found that it actually helped a lot, obviously from the sustainability side, because we were able to meet virtually all of our energy requirements for the bio, from the biorefinery through integrating with this anaerobic digestion model. Uh, but at the same time, it didn't kind of uh, impact negatively on the economics because we were get we weren't essentially paying anything for the feedstock. The feedstock was coming as a, a waste stream from the process. Uh, I think for sure uh, we need to look at how the model integrates with anaerobic digestion. Uh, if you look in Germany, for example, there's a nice model, a company called BioWorld who are operating a green biorefinery out there, uh, operated in uh, tandem with an anaerobic digestion unit, which is integrating uh, slurry from the farmers and, and food waste as well. And uh, most of the green biorefineries that I'm aware of across Europe are actually integrating that model of, of taking taking the waste stream, producing energy, using some of the energy back in the process. And in the case of BioVert, actually exporting a lot of their surplus energy back to the grid as well. So I think it's it's great from the sustainability aspect and it doesn't seem to impact at least negatively on the economics of the model as well. So I think another important point where I think uh, Bob and Vijay can also uh, put their thoughts and uh, James may echo them. It is related to what are the consequences for sustainability and greenhouse gases related to feedstock production and how the bio-based product could be commercialized in a, a market for a sustainable bioeconomy. Yeah, um, thanks Vijay. I think um, the bioeconomy and uh, biorefining have really exciting opportunities to offer to climate change mitigation. So um, in Scotland, we're facing a climate change emergency. Um, we produce around 50 million tonnes of uh, CO2 equivalents per year from our agricultural sector. And we're trying to bring that down to net zero in just 30 years or so. So we have a huge uh, task in front of us. And I think bioeconomy and biorefining offer great opportunities to help deliver those policy targets. And they can do this in a number of ways. I mean, we've touched on this in discussion already. Um, we've talked about energy and we've talked about materials. And I think one of the things to think about is that you know, historically we've thought of agriculture as a very sort of linear process. We provide inputs at one end and we get outputs at the other, accepting quite large amounts of waste and inefficiency in the system. But the bio and circular economies provide an opportunity to get more out of what we put in um, and achieve less waste. And the waste is important because the waste is where we produce our greenhouse gases. So, I mean, in addition to the sort of energy issues we've talked about, we can get materials out of the bioeconomy. We can, we can use the biomass that we produce to produce some of the things that we produce from petroleum at the moment, some of the plastics, that sort of thing. So that's one way of doing it. Another really exciting opportunity is the opportunity to use bio-based products to actually increase the efficiency of resource use by using inhibitors, for example, to reduce methane emissions from livestock or the, the nitrogen emissions that we get in terms of nitrous oxide emissions from soils. And there are bio-based products that can help us to do that. 
So I think this is a really important area of research, and it's it's one that's going to be important in delivering this this net zero agenda that we've uh, got in front of us. And 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 thank you very much, Bob. It's almost everything is covered is uh, when it comes to refining to the bio-based products. And um, uh, as we mentioned that, uh, let's say, biorefining is everything. And especially when you talk about the grass biorefining, I would rather say it's a grass biofactory, where you have a, let's say, when you harvest these grasses, especially for, let's say, and then you have fibers. If you said agri-cell, and then when it's fiber, it, it can be granulated to form these plastics, you know? And then whatever the left materials residue is can go in AD processing and then it's, it generates energy. And then coming back to the residual is going to be fertilizers. Apart from then, there are other products. For example, when James is saying this, he's a, let's say the press cake and then with, with the press juice. In Ireland, we say press juice and press cake. Press juice is, uh, is not only include this uh, protein, it also includes some other uh, bioactive metabolites and also this uh, protein component and glycan components. All together, it is mix. It is a mix of a kind of a very rich nutri nutrition, uh, rich let's say uh, you can say the liquid, which is very much a very good source for food and feed. Right. The same time, it it is very easy. And when it comes to the protein, is is soluble protein and and a structural protein, which is very much linked with, as John said, there are some protein which is a lot more causes for the ammonia, but most of the protein, the soluble proteins comes onto the juice, press juice, so the, whatever is left, which is more structural, which actually the cows and the these, these cattle need, and in order to have less, let's say, greenhouse gases, and then you have a lot more, uh, let's say, residual and less problems with these kind of issues. But yes, this grass berberifani has huge potential, huge potential, and um, I'm rather very agree with the um, James, it, it doesn't have any competition, but one thing James would like to catch up with you, how we develop a model where we have a nutrition and energy balance uh, towards the circular economy, when you especially talk about a grass biofactory or grass uh, valorizations to value additions. Thanks, thank I you know, for this. Uh, before we take uh, uh, James' key thought on this one, I have a follow-up discussion from, uh, I think, John. So, John, what do you think uh, how we can develop nutrient and energy balance toward a circular bioeconomy? Yeah, I think it's trying to get everything at the right scale, isn't it? Which uh, raises the question of is this something that's relevant for a farm, for a group of local farms together who can pool their resources without too much uh, expenditure on transporting lots of bulky materials and water around? Um, and what are the relative um, pools for the product, including, of course, uh, the continued production of milk and, and meat from, uh, from a ruminant livestock uh, perspective? Uh, I think that's quite an, an interesting, very challenging area to try to think how we can get something that all the component pieces fit together at the right scale uh, and of the right magnitude and still sufficient to access markets uh, and generate the, the maximum income for um, ultimately for the farmer. Then, so exploring the different technologies is, is really interesting, but actually putting the whole thing together and demonstrating that in aggregation, these technologies can work together and be integrated. Uh, that's, uh, I think, a really interesting challenge. And I'm sure James uh, has some significant experience in that area. Yeah, and I, I think it, it, you're right. It is a big challenge. Um, so um, 
and and sometimes we can we kind of underestimate that um i suppose what we've been doing and we've kind of done it in demonstration but we've done it in small scale where we've worked with uh directly with farmers on their farms producing these products directly with co-ops in terms of developing these into end products and then directly with pig pig farmers and and other uh, stakeholders to try and validate these products. So I suppose in terms of getting these products out onto the market, which you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, Vijay, I think working directly with uh, some of the market end stakeholders to actually validate these. Um, And I suppose we probably in Ireland see some some role in terms of the existing cooperative structures in terms of helping to create some of that infrastructure to make that possible because in co-ops you have quite good communication in terms of um, farmers pulling together for a particular purpose and being shareholders in terms of returns on on revenue uh, from products that are already being produced. So that's the the way we've gone to try and demonstrate this uh, so far. Um, And I think when we look at something like grass, it needs to be of a certain scale to be economically viable, but then grass is 80 to 90 percent water. So I think you will have a limited kind of supply radius, which would be uh, suitable for for this. So most of what we're seeing across Europe and based on our own research that we've done so far is sort of working around a 10 to 20 kilometer radius for a commercial scale facility and we're not really seeing anything that's going beyond this so you have the potential then possibly as well within that to look at these kind of regional um, demonstration sites but potentially linking some of this together in in maybe a product upgrading facility or working with mills to bring some of the protein in and, and to do that centrally so there's the potential to link that but I think it requires a huge amount, uh, not just in terms of technology demonstration, but also in terms of the kind of ACUS aspect, working with farmers to discuss with them around the potential of these new value chains and bringing stakeholders together. Because I think uh, everyone who you're going to be bringing around the table, everyone will feel like they need to get some benefit from this new business model. Uh, and that that requires quite a bit of work to, to kind of get that um, into into a full production process and into reality. And that's the challenge. Yes, this is really a key point. So, Vijay, where do you think, what are the key barriers to make biorefinery system more financially viable uh, if we have to consider all the points, including uh, soil remediation, as Bob has uh, touched the a little bit. Is that uh, um, eliminate this, minimize and eliminate the waste reduction and once through advanced manufacturing, because I'm more into the bio-based uh, products for more and more value addition and high value product. For example, I would suggest rather uh, glycans and proteins and peptides, not only for, let's say, uh, food and animal food, but only for food and feed ingredients to humans. Uh, For example, grass proteins, which is huge potential for as a probiotic and also 
uh, glycans, which we have an example before where we ex extracted these glycans uh, from from grasses. Later, it has been went in applications in human and treating some, let's say, cancerous cell lines. So these are huge. That the 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 the, the waste, especially the grasses, have huge potential. Whether it is proteins, peptides, glycans, or others, or also the pigments. We cannot de uh, deny the pigments, and the pigments has huge applications, uh, not only to the human, uh, and not only to the cattle's and animal food, but also in humans' food also. There are a lot more, uh, let's say, um, antioxidant in, in the pigments, a lot more antimicrobial activity. So the huge, huge elements. The only concern I have, how to, the, the more precisely we will address the problem, minimizing the waste, especially the processing, how the process we process the each element for example starting from harvesting of grass biomass to uh, pressing to the press juice and the press juice to uh, press cake and how we process this press cake into value addition site whether we are going to feed directly this press cake to to the animals or we are going to extract another value added potential as bob said some polysaccharide molecule which may further help in plant growth promotion for example, if you trigger some, uh, let's say, glycan, uh, glucanase, six family uh, components, it has rather lot more value to the plant health, where it actually induces the endolysobutyric pathway, ISA pathway, we say. Okay. 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 So there's huge applications. There are many. Then another follow-up question that arises is maybe Bob and David, as well as James, can put their expert thoughts on this one how the concept of circular economy can improve both the agriculture and dairy system based upon the advances Vijay just discussed about different molecules or biomolecules and so on. So your thoughts on this, Bob, and then David can also put your thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the opportunities are really widespread and you know, to, to pick up on another example, um, I mean, I think we need to think more innovatively about the way in which we process materials that come out of the bioeconomy. I mean, we thought of the bioeconomy or farming as providing sort of products that are, are consumed without really much innovation. Um, and yet the, the new technologies that we have available to us that can separate out components and use them in the system more efficiently and more innovatively provide lots of opportunities. So, for example, I mean, we've, we've been looking at using legumes and spitting out the nitrogen-rich components from legumes to provide a protein source, which goes into fish food, um, from the carbohydrates, which can then go into another processing stream. And, and in this example we were using, it was for distilling, so to produce um, a gin. So you get two products from the single food material, um, which both have high value and, and contribute overall to a greater sustainability and efficiency within the system. But I think there are, there are lots of examples like that that the bioeconomy can deliver. Yeah, I think just just following from Bob saying there, yeah, I mean, up until now, it's sort of, I think it's probably in the back of our minds that the assumption is this grass processing is going to be within a, a day, perhaps a dairy system or aligned to a dairy system or even a beef farm system. There's a lot of, in fact, it's happening now, a lot of cereal farmers are now putting down grass lays or grass clover lays to build up soil fertility. 
and primarily to, to because of the cost of nitrogen fertilizer. I, I know of talking to some of the seed suppliers that quite clover seed supplies have practically run out in Scotland uh, uh, over the past year uh, because so many farmers are doing this. There's no reason why a similar system, a grass clover bright processed system, couldn't be part of a cereal rotation whereby you're putting down maybe a couple of years of grass, you're actually getting a product or products from that grass at the same time. And thereby you're actually, again, as part of a, a circular economy, it's actually including cereals as part of production because you're increasing the fertility of the soil for the subsequent cereal growth. So I think it's another way of looking at it as well. And it goes back to the question before about is, does this system compete or is it with the, the, the dairy and beef systems? Not necessarily so. It could be part of a, an arbol system as well. And yeah, I thanks. think... I think uh, it's it's good that we're talking, I think, about feedstock as well, because that's part of the bioeconomy is the production of biological resources. And what we haven't looked at, we haven't looked quite closely at clover and our most recent trials looking at protein extraction was a mixture of clover and perennial ryegrass. But within another project, we're looking also at multi-species swords production uh, where we can reduce the uh, application of nitrogen-based fertilizers and the risk of nitrous oxide production and create a more potentially sustainable feedstock for, for cows and potentially for refining into new products. But also, I think then uh, linking potentially with, say, the uh, processing of grass and, and Vijay and Vijay and John and myself uh, discussed this in a recent call where we looked at the potential to link that uh, management, if you like, of primary production resources where you could take your press cake from your refinery, uh, feed your cows with the press cake, produce milk, but then start a whole new biorefinery value chain based on the milk because we have some projects in Ireland, for example, Glombia have a project uh, where they look at the production of cheese and whey protein, but taking the whey permeate, they're now looking at converting this into lactic acid and PLA and a number of different project products on top of that as well. And so, you know, you could potentially have sort of multiple circular bioeconomies from feedstock to primary processing to downstream processing, uh, all kind of working together to create this kind of larger, if you like, circular bioeconomy model within the dairy sector. Thanks. Thanks completely, James. I completely agree with James. And then because we, we we did some part of the work with the Glen B and Nestle and other as a part of the DPTC center in Ireland. And I completely agree with you that uh, coming back from grass grass feeding to the cows and then completely starting a new value added chain mm -hmm. from dairy and from dairy to dairy waste and then waste to again to value. So it's, it can be anything from letting L glycosides to biohydrogen, biogas, pigments, uh, many, many other value added product. So yes, now I will hand over to Vijay. Final comments. So James, we have a last uh, more of a, how you can say, key point to discuss what are the main barriers, if we have to summarize in few words, to make a biofinance system financially viable and how centralized or decentralized would you envisage a biorefinery system? Okay, so I think the main the main barriers um, 
for, for me, in terms of financial viability, um, will depend on, and, and we've looked quite a bit at the technology. Uh, the technology in, in kind of, you know, for most of us still requires a significant capital investment. But if we look at the capex required for some of the larger scale facilities like uh, bioethanol facilities is, is relatively low um, uh, when we look at, at green biorefineries. And based on the analysis we've done so far, we found that the main factors impacting uh, viability would be the cost of which we're purchasing feedstock and the cost at which we're selling uh, products onto the market. So those are the, the main challenges to keep feedstock prices relatively low. Um, and so we need to potentially integrate farmers who, who are more uh, open to uh, providing grass and you'll have certain farmers who typically make uh, a larger income than others. Uh, so within our kind of pricing models, uh, we, for example, looked at, at beef farmers as being one of the main contributors of, of grass for our biorefinery model because we felt we were able to offer them a higher price than they're currently making from grass. Um, so, so I think those were the main uh, price factors. Um, and then in relation, I forget your other question, Vijay. It's uh, more related to not like question like how centralized or decentralized this biorefinery system can be in near future. Okay, so I think it can probably be uh, centralized or or decentralized. I think we we probably have a certain we've we there's been two commercial plants that have been. Uh, uh, signed into agreement in, in Denmark in the last year, both operational around 30 to 50 tons per hour, and both of which are standalone facilities. But I can also see how within a co-op model, a number of these uh, fairly small scale units could be linked together. There, there will need to be a certain scale. Uh, we looked at a scale of about eight tons fresh biomass per hour as being the kind of minimum scale we would need to be processing at. Uh, to achieve economic viability. Uh, so there will need to be a certain scale attached to this. Um, but and, and, and at the smaller end of that scale, I can see how you could have a number of these operational within that kind of co-op model. Thanks, thanks, James, again. And thanks, everyone, for the valuable time. I think we all agree that wirefinding has a bright future in the coming years or decades, we can say. and. Uh, we must widely explore different things in a more wiser way. So thanks again. And we look forward to have another podcast on a similar line in the near future.